Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning. Like what Pastor Mark said, welcome back. Well, anyway, let's just go ahead and jump into our word. We, we are limited now because we are doing two services. So, so far this past few months, we've actually been doing a series on the book of Romans. We've been in and out a bit. So today we're going to continue on that series. It's going to be week six. And so far to, so to reacquaint us back to what we've been talking about in the book of Romans, let's go back to the theme of the book of Romans. And it is found in uh, the very first chapter, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And this is what it reads. This is the entire theme of the, of the book of Romans. Verse 16, it reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the theme of the book of Romans. This is the book, if you're a believer, this is the crux of what you believe in, this entire book. Okay, and for, and for today, this is exactly what we're going to touch on. The, the title of this series is The Gospel Explained. So we're going to try to explain the righteousness of God in, through faith. Amen? So let's go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and uh, bring up the, the main text and we'll just jump right in. So for today, our main text will be coming out. So far, we have touched five weeks. And so far, what we, have, uh, what we have looked at in those five, in five weeks, really quick recap, is that human beings are alienated from God. That, that's it. Human beings are alienated from God. Uh, Paul demonstrated that the Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish descent, they deny the knowledge of God, even though God has revealed himself through creation. And he also argues that it's no different for his very own people, the Jewish people. They also deny based on their rebellion. So, so far, week five, we ended up with the, with the conclusion that for, uh, that for therefore, there's no one who is righteous. There's no one who is good and no one who seeks God. That's what we left up on week five. So today, this is where we're going to jump in, verse 19. So let me just read it, and then we'll pray one more time, and then we're going to go verse by verse on this. So Romans chapter 3, verse 19 reads this. Now, we know... That whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Verse 30. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let me just pray before we dig in. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that your, that your word is timeless. Regardless of seasons in our life, your word is always timeless. And Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us today. Open our ears to hear what you're speaking. And allow our hearts, Father, to rise in faith, to believe what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, so going back to verse 21. Go ahead and let's uh, look back to verse 21. So this is where we're going to uh, begin. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So we're gonna try, I'm going to try to explain to you what that means. What is the righteousness of God? Perhaps you have an idea already, okay? So we're gonna use the, we, we're gonna, I'm going to use this uh, four verses for now. But, but, uh, but pay attention to this, okay? It says that in verse 21, it says, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And then verse 23, this is very familiar. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard that so many. If, you're, if this is not your first time in the church, you've probably heard this so many times. For all have, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how was the righteousness of God manifested? It says here that the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So let me show you that. When you, when you hear the word law in the Bible, who is the first person that comes to your mind? Go ahead, you can answer. Moses, are you correct? Okay, you're correct, Moses. Moses was the man that God used to give the law to the nation of Israel, correct? Last week, we were just talking about Pentecost. Pentecost, the first Pentecost was the day that God gave them the law, all right? The law, the Ten Commandments and all other 613 laws that they were supposed to abide by. So that's the law that, uh, that, uh, the, that we're talking about. So the law, Moses was called the lawgiver, amen? So how did Moses witness the righteousness of God? I guess that's a good question, all right? Let me show you, there is, a, there is an experience in Moses' life. Well, Moses actually walked with God for 40 years, but there's one instance in his life that he made such a bold request from God. Go ahead and show that. Exodus, it's here, Exodus chapter 33. God tells, God tells Moses, of course, we know this story. Moses was the deliverer. God said, go, take this people to the promised land. But, God, but Moses said, how can I go? You have not told me who I would go with. So tell me who I would go with, and I will, I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, okay? I will not go unless you go with me, your presence go with me. Then Moses made this bold request from God, please show me your glory. No other man has asked that request, show me your glory. And then this is what God says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. That's what God said, you cannot see my face and live. So we're trying to discover here, how is the righteousness of God 
witnessed by Moses here. Now, this is just one instant in his life, but really his entire 40 years, he was able to witness the righteousness of God, okay? Just to um, clarify that. But I'm trying to show you here that this is one instance where he actually saw it. So it's like the, so glory, there's a word there, glory. It says, what is the glory of God? The righteousness of God is really entwined in the glory of God. What do I mean by that? I'm going to use a illustration, one of the few times that I would actually use an actual illustration. So the glory of God is actually one of the hardest uh, topic to explain in the Bible. Man being the created being, we lack the ability and we, have, we lack the comprehension to really comprehend the entirety of God. And the glory of God is really that. We know God as we know his attributes, we know his nature, we know characters. If you are a one who reads books like Tozer and Packer, there are man uh, theologians that really uh, break, break down God, who God is. And the way they do it is they categorize his nature, they categorize who he is, they, they, they categorize his uh, holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his loving kindness. Then he also, they, they also pick apart that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, all of that. So the glory of God is really putting all of God together in all his beauty, in all that he is, and he is that infinite, and he's that eternal. So when we look at the glory of God, consider a rope. A rope is actually multi-thread. Okay, this is how it looks like on the other end. It's multi-thread. Can you, you can see me? This is how the rope looks like. So when we're trying to discover, explain the righteousness of God, what we're trying to do is look around and see where his righteousness is. But see, when God acts, he doesn't act singly. I know for us, so we're probably looking around and trying to look for the righteousness of God. It's probably here. But, but the glory of God is, it's always like this. God always acts this way. Are you getting me? God always acts together in all he is. He is good, and because he is good, he has justice. And because he is good, he has righteousness. And because he has righteousness, he also has grace, he has mercy. God doesn't just move with one of his character in righteousness without him moving in his kindness. That's what it is, and that's why it's kind of difficult to just define his righteousness without first knowing who he is in his glory. He's all together. Whenever he acts and whenever he moves, he doesn't just move according to one of his character. He moves as a whole being. He moves in love. He moves in justice. He moves in righteousness. So this is where Moses first saw the righteousness of God, is that when he asked, can you show me your glory? And God said... You cannot see my face, for you shall not see me and live. What do we see there? We see the holiness of God there. We see that if man, man cannot stand in the presence of God. So what did God do then? And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you, not, you shall not see. You shall not see, meaning, so God is saying that in the fullness of who I am, in all my beauties, in all my infinite qualities, in all my limitless, limitless uh, quality of who I am, that glory, that beauty, 
Moses, you cannot stand in that presence without being consumed. That's what the, that's what the, go ahead and underline that, uh, underline this. It says, but God, he's holy, but yet he's also graceful. So God made a way for Moses to witness something. It says he, he put his hand on Moses. What is that? That's to protect Moses from being consumed. So the act of God of what he did is, is what uh, Moses, uh, Moses witnessed. So this is the law. This is what he witnessed. We'll get to a conclusion later on. Another person, it says that also the prophet witnessed the righteousness of God. So let's look at the prophets. Who's the first book of the prophets? Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, 5 to 7. It begins, in, it begins by saying, in the year that King Josiah died, I saw the Lord uh, sitting on his throne and the, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he said, angels were crying out, holy, holy, holy for the Lord God Almighty. So you, you know this part, right? So he was able to see the throne of God and what he saw were angels declaring the holiness of God and declaring the glory of God. And this is how Isaiah felt. He says, and I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what is he saying? A prophet who has sin on his lips. What is a prophet of God? A prophet of God is a messenger of God. So that's who he is. Now pay attention to these two men. Moses, Isaiah. These are both men of God. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Would, wouldn't you think that these are holy men, right? Holy men used by God for the purpose, for his own purpose to, uh, for Israel. But yet this is exactly how it is for them. For, for Isaiah, this is how he felt in the presence of God. Woe to me, for I am a sinful man. And of course, like, like in the story of Moses, God also did something so that he can stand in the presence of God. And it says, Verse 6, then one of the seraphim, seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your mouth, your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. When he said, I have unclean lips, meaning I have sinned. And what did God do? He allowed one of the angels to take away his guilt and to atone for his sin. So this is how also Isaiah witnessed the righteousness of God. That in the presence of God, because of his holiness, his justice, your sin will kill you. <laughs> I am undone. That's basically what he said. Well, to me, I am lost. The word lost there is I will perish. I am undone. Amen? So what we see is two things. We saw the law. We saw the prophets. And like what I said, pay attention to those two words in verse 23. It says, for all have sinned. And all have fallen or fall short of the glory of God. I know I've heard that verse so many times, but I never saw that part where it says the glory of God. We would always fall short of the glory of God. Man of God, chosen by God, but yet in the presence of God, sin still came out. They still fall short of the glory of God. But here's the part where God, where God was righteous. Though sin was there, God acted in their behalf. God intervened so that they will not be consumed. God intervened so that they will not die. And that is the part where we see the righteousness of God. We cannot just pick point 
his righteousness of God and declare that, oh, God is a righteous God. You sin, you die. And yes, there's a truth to that. But that's the thing. When God acts, he acts in just and righteous act, but he also acts in loving and graceful act. And that's why these two men were able to witness that. When Adam was kicked out of the garden, it was a righteous act of God. When God brought forth the flood in the days of Noah, it was a righteous act of God. When God uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was a righteous act of God. But when God also spared Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was still a righteous act of God. Go ahead and go to verse 24 of uh, moving on. Uh, Romans. So it says here, now, in this present time, when Paul wrote this, now the righteousness of God apart from the law. The law really tells you that you're sinful. That's what the law was, uh, what we read in verse 20. In the law is the knowledge of sin. And Isaiah saw his sin. Moses saw that he, he does not have enough glory to stand in the presence of God. But, but, so they saw the righteousness of God. Now it's saying here that uh, the righteousness of God, uh, the next verse please, 27. There you go. I'm sorry, back. You were in the correct one. So it's saying here was, it was to, uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Going back to the days of Adam, Adam, the, when, when God told Adam, the day that you eat of this fruit, you would die, right? But did he die on the day that he ate of the fruit? No, instead what happened? He was kicked out of the garden. It was a righteous act of God for him not to die, but yet get kicked out of the garden. Okay, I'm coming to the conclusion of how righteousness of God has to be seen. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, but yet Lot was spared, it was a righteous act of God. Okay? When the sins of the past, all the way from Adam, all the way to the days of Jesus, God passed over it. That's what it says in verse 25. In his divine forbearance, that's one of his quality, his long-suffering. And that's why I said, in his righteousness, you cannot just pinpoint what his righteousness because when he acts he acts according to his goodness his long suffering it says that in verse 25 that this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance meaning long suffering he had passed over the former sins what former sins is he talking about here the sins that was committed from the days of Adam all the way to the days of Jesus though within that time frame God was acting righteously he also passed over the sins of these men until the coming of Jesus, and that's when he put all of their sins in the, in the body of Christ, and there it was judged. And that's why when we go to heaven, we will still see Adam. Though he committed, he ate of the fruit. Why? Because this is the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Because in the righteousness of God, he overlooked the sins of that past. And, it was, it, and he brought it all the way into the time of Jesus. And it was a righteous act of God. We are here today because of that. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. How can we be saved? Because God 
in his infinite quality that he is the God of time, he went all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way to the future. And he took all of our sin and he put it all the way, all the way, all the way back to Jesus. So that when the time we believed in God, though we have committed sin against him, though we, we, have, uh, uh, we have done things against God, God didn't punish us right there and there. But God still allow us to repent and to come into the knowledge of who Jesus is. And that's what, that's what it is. The righteousness of God is really when he acts in the behalf of people. If he were to judge sin right there and there before Jesus, he was righteous. If he passed over the sin of the people in the Old Testament so that he can bring it back to the days of Jesus because they believed, it was still a righteous act of God. Are you with me, church? So that's why you cannot separate the righteousness of God apart from all his other qualities because you would always have a one, we would always have a one perspective mind. If we're a believer today and we think that, look at the world, they're sinning. God, you should punish them. No, God, right now, even though there are people crying out against God, God in his righteousness is still waiting and showing them their goodness until the time when he said, I will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that when that time comes, then I will take care of that. That is still a righteous act of God. Whether God, when you believe, God will not bring the punishment in the Old Testament. Today, because of Christ, we are here today because we have believed that Jesus took away our sins. And that's the only reason why God didn't punish us when we were not yet believers and we were not and we were crying stuff against God, but yet he did not punish us because it was through believing in Christ. Amen? Wow. So this, are you with me, church? Does that, does that explain? And this is really, church, this is the foundation of our salvation, that we are saved not because we do righteous things, but because Jesus, the one that came from God himself, came down to die on the cross so that all the sins that we have committed would have been paid for, would have been taken away. Can you go to uh, Corinthians now? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. I got about five minutes. Let me end with this. So we've been talking about the glory of God, the sin of God, and the righteous act of God regarding your sin and his glory, that whatever he, the way he acts in your behalf, whether he punishes the sin or he allows sin, he passes over the sin until the coming of Christ. That's what we've been talking about. But we talked about sin and glory. So, so I want to show you how uh, verse 3 of chapter 15, it says, For I delivered to you as, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That's how God took care of our sins, through Jesus dying on the cross. Okay? But that's two elements, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how did he take care of the glory or the part where Moses could not stand in the glory of God? Same thing. It's also through Jesus. That's why there's no, nothing else but Jesus. So his death took care of our sin. All right? Um, uh, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Go ahead, next. So we know that he was risen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that he, there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 17, if Christ has been raised, your faith is, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, 
the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, the first fruit of those who have died but was raised again. Okay? For someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? When Moses stood in the presence of God, God said, you cannot see my glory, my, the fullness of who I am without you being consumed. So therefore, we need to get a new body and able to be able to stand in the glory of God. Amen? Go ahead. So, it is, so Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrected body. Jesus was the seed from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. He was the only, there's other, only two other beings that was able to stand in the glory of God. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's what Isaiah witnessed. Okay, you're still with me? I'm closing here. So verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. But what was raised up? When Jesus rose from the dead, how was he raised up? He was raised imperishable, meaning he will never decay again. We will, he, he will not get tired. It says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Can you do the highlights, please? There, I'll just jump in. Sown naturally, it is sown spiritually. The first Adam became a living being. This is the fruit of the first Adam. This is the seed of first Adam, the flesh. But the seed of Christ is spiritual. So that when we shed this body and we go to be with the Lord, we will be born out of a seed that is imperishable. Amen? Go ahead, next verse. Verse. So this is First Peter, and I'll end with this. So Peter said, since you have been born again. How many of you here are born again? Yes, you're born again. You're not born of, an, again, a natural birth, but you are now born of the Spirit. John 3, 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born of a, uh, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. To be born again means the seed of Christ, to be raised up together with Christ, is to be born again. So that when we shed this fleshly body, we will be born, in, uh, the, the new body will rise up. And it is the body that can stand in the glory of God without being consumed. Amen? Amen? That's why you need to be born again. You cannot stand in the glory of God with this body. It will be consumed. So that takes care of sin, and that takes care of the glory that man has a problem with. And, and all of this is the righteous act of God by saving us through Jesus Christ. So, uh, and to end with this, if you're not sure, or if you're not, um, if you, uh, I know things are going, what going what's going on uh, outside, and sometimes I feel, I, I think I sense something that we have, the fear that has uh, come in, in, inside of our hearts is really a fear of because we were not so sure of what is the future will hold. And there's always a fear when you don't know what the future holds, isn't it? When we don't, when uncertainty is in front of us, we, there, there is always a fear. But I think God wants to really encourage us to, and know this, that this life, this flesh that we have, when we get rid of this flesh, when we die in this death, we will be born glorious. We will be born imperishable. We will not see decay once again. And that's why, uh, that's why and, and to give you an assurance, God gave us the Holy Spirit. Remember, the only three beings that can stand together is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If God has given us the Holy Spirit, then what he has done is he has given us an assurance, a guarantee, a down payment, that when we die out of this body, we already have the Holy Spirit, the one that can stand in the glory of God. 
And that's why that lyrics, blessed assurance, is so beautiful. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of us to see the glory, the, our glorious God. It says, uh, um, bought by his blood, born of the Spirit. If you are being born again, church, if we are born again, we already are born of this imperishable seed. I know it's sad if we were to die today or fall asleep, and I know that's probably not the best thing to hear on a Sunday, uh, on a Sunday service, but it is the reality. We will shed this flesh, but the good, news is, the good news is and the encouragement is that if we are already born again, we are already been born out of imperishable seed. We would be like Jesus when we are in a glorious form. Jesus can tele teleport. He can pass through objects. That is the glorious body that we will have when we pass from this body. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I am out of time. Let's just go ahead and pray. And we got the second service coming up. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you that, 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 uh, that you are always taking care of us. And Father, I just pray, Father, that you continue to protect us as we leave today. Thank you, Father, that what you're... <clears throat> that the plans for us in your hand has not changed. The plans that you have for our lives has not changed. You are never caught off guard. You are never surprised for the things that's going on. So Father, allow our hearts to see that, to receive that. And I pray, Father, as we leave today, protect us, bless us, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen?